Has our declining dollar got you wondering how people can afford to travel overseas these days? I'm Rick Steves. In today's Europe, a nickel is the new penny. Rich countries like Finland and the Netherlands have actually taken their one-cent and two-cent euro coins out of circulation. Prices are high for locals. And with our dipping dollar, they seem even steeper for Americans. Yet regardless of the soaring cost of living, Europeans remain experts at living well. And you can still manage plenty of La Dolce Vita as well, if you know how to travel smart. Coming up today, our guest is you. We're dedicating the hour ahead to the budget tricks and travel tips we've picked up over the years traveling through Europe. And as always, we'll benefit from the experience of our traveling listeners. Okay, we Americans just aren't as wealthy compared to the Europeans as we'd like to think we are. But we can still travel affordably in Europe and have a blast while doing it. Find out how in the hour ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. For the last 30 years, I've been teaching Americans how to travel well in Europe on a budget. These days, those budget tips are more important than ever. I'm not about to tell you that travel to Europe is cheap. It's not. But 12 million Americans, the vast majority of them normal working people, had a blast in Europe last year. So don't mope. Just get smart and stretch that wimpy little dollar. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're collecting your budget tricks and travel tips for how to stretch your vacation dollar. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK. Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Let's hear what's on your mind about keeping travel to Europe in your price range. Mary's on the line in Mississippi. Hi, Mary. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Uh, my husband and I are planning on retiring this year, and we are planning on starting our traveling expeditions to Europe. And I was wondering, with the devaluation of the dollar so much overseas, are there still any bargains out there? Well, that's not a very nice time to retire, is it? Suddenly the dollar is worth 20% less than it was last year. I know. Boy, that's too bad. A lot of people are wondering, what's a good value these days? And, you know, if I told you that Costa Rica was, that the dollar was really strong in Costa Rica, but you were dreaming of going to Ireland and Ireland was more expensive, I think the best value for your dollar is still Ireland. I really think you should go where your travel dreams are taking you and then find ways to travel more economically in those places, whether they are more expensive or not. The dollar is, you know, it's easy to say it's in the tank, but that implies it's going to change. I don't think it's going to change. I I think the way we're running our economy and the way we've got a deficit and all of our military expenses and all of our tax cuts, you know, whether they're good or bad, it's beside the point. The fact is... Our buying power goes down. And when we think about going to Europe, uh, those people, they can't run a deficit. It's just built into their system. They've got that built-in discipline because you cannot be in the Eurozone and have a deficit. Consequently, they're running a tighter ship that way. They're paying for things as they go. And to me, it makes sense that they would have uh, a currency that's increasing on our dollar. Uh, It's not the end of the world. We just have to know how to travel smartly. And um, 12 million Americans went to Europe last summer or this last year. And as far as I could tell, they all had a great time. It was a drag for all of them to have to spend more money for their available dollars. But um, they would order lower on the menu and they would take more public transit and so on. So 
It's not devastating. It's really not. You know, I haven't missed a beat over there, and I've been all over Europe, the more expensive countries and the cheaper countries. Instead of riding the taxi in from the airport for $80, you take the shuttle in now for $15. And Europe is really investing in its public transit, and there's working people in Europe that have to watch their money too. I was just in a restaurant in Oslo thinking, God, these Norwegians must be really wealthy when I looked at the cost of the menu. But then I looked around, and I noticed 18 out of the 20 people in that restaurant who were all local people were ordering tap water instead of paying for drinks. As a matter of fact, they were paying for tap water. It cost a couple dollars for a glass of water, but that's better than $10 for a, a beer or something like that if they're on a tight budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So um, we shouldn't change our plans. We should just go with well, economy in mind. I don't think you should change your plans. I mean, there are some ways to really, really be smart from an economic point of view if you're a retired couple spending extended amount of time in Europe. You know, there are apartments you can rent. In my style of travel, I'm talking about people traveling around quickly, and right. we're talking about hotels and B&Bs. But there's right. a much less expensive way to go in every country. It's renting uh, self-catered apartments or cottages by the week or the fortnight, two weeks. Europeans usually look at the way we travel and just shake their heads and can't believe it. They go to one spot. Actually, they, they go to one spot year after year, and they just have their friends there, and they just relax on that riverside right. campground or at that apartment in the big city or whatever. Every country has these... Um, Ferienwohnung, it's called in Germany, where you rent out a, a self-catering apartment by the week, or Gite um, in France, which is the same thing by the week. And I would say for the cost of two nights in a hotel, you can get one of these self-catering apartments for an entire week. Of course, there are bigger ones for traveling groups, and the more people who travel together, and the more you stay put, the cheaper it gets. Remember also the huge economy of having a group of people sharing one vehicle. I used to take minibus tours around Europe, and it was me with eight people in a minibus, and it was dirt cheap compared to uh, four couples renting four different cars. If you had a group of six friends renting an agriturismo in the countryside of Tuscany, and you rented a minibus to be your vehicle, and you cooked for the price of groceries, that would be a remarkably inexpensive trip. So there's ways to get it down to the cost of an apartment and uh, groceries rather than hotels and restaurants, and that's a huge savings right there. And so many of the joys of Europe are actually free. Sitting on the square, watching the little kids play soccer or the guys uh, play uh, bocce ball or bulls. I mean, there's hanging out in a Greek taverna and uh, sucking a hookah and playing backgammon with new friends in Istanbul. Uh, These are simple ways that local retired people spend their leisurely evenings, and and we can do the same things, and it can be rich travel memories. Well, that's what we plan on doing. uh, We're going to pick a a different country every year Uh and, and spend a month. You know, that's a great way to go. I mean, and, uh, it's just you fly in and you stay put or you have a car that you rent uh, right. and uh, stay put, yeah. We, we thought we would, like, pick a central area mm-hmm. and then just travel out from there. Yeah. And the uh, short-term apartment idea sounds fantastic. Short-term apartments are great. Stock your apartment with food. Stock the back of your car with a little pantry. You know, Americans are going to have to learn to wait in line at the bus stop with the Portuguese people. You know, it's not the end of the world. They're fun people, and life goes on. But we're just not going to be able to consume with the Germans and the Danes and the English people because, I mean, we're not as wealthy as we think we are. I I wish that would change, but I certainly would not wait until our dollar gets stronger because I think I'll be dead before our dollar gets stronger. Well, some of the nicest people I've ever met, I've met in line. You're right, and uh, that's a good attitude to have. Thank you so much for taking my call. Happy travels in your retirement. Well, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Amber in Broomfield, Colorado. Hi, Amber. Thanks for your call. Hi. Um, my question is, for my spring semester of 2009, I'm planning on studying abroad in Sweden. And during my spring break, I'm thinking about going to London for a week. 
And being a student on a budget, I was wondering what would be a good plan, hotel-wise, sightseeing-wise, and all of that. Wow, London is, I think, the most brutally expensive city in all of Europe, uh, as far as I know, for accommodations. It uh, doesn't mean you can't find affordable accommodations, but you need to be creative and you need to get your hands on uh, good listings. For instance, there is a Norwegian YWCA in a beautiful neighborhood in Notting Hill Gate area, and it's impossibly cheap, and it comes with dinner. They only let uh, women and Norwegian men into this place. I don't quite understand that. But um, I love the place. I visit it every year. I can't stay there because I am neither. Uh, But that's an example. There are youth hostels. There are uh, religious institutions. There are simple little bed and breakfasts. Then I'll remind you that things can be quite reasonable. The restaurants are expensive, the hotels are expensive, but a lot of the museum going is free. A lot of the great pageantry is free. I mean, the National Gallery is free. The Changing of the Guard every day at Buckingham Palace, uh, 1130, is free. You can have a free lunch concert at St. Martin's in the Field. The British Museum is free. The British Library is free. Uh, You can go to an Evensong service at St. Paul's Cathedral for nothing at all, and that'll get you into St. Paul's Cathedral, which normally costs $20 to see. And then there's a carnival-like scene after dark in Covent Gardens and at Piccadilly Circus. So that's a very busy day that I just laid out there, and it cost almost nothing. I'm Actually, I'm, I'm kind of cheating here because I'm reading a little article I wrote in my latest newsletter. On day two, I'll just review uh, some more options. You could go to Portobello Road Market. That's free. Auction at Sotheby's. That's free. Victorian Albert Museum. I love that museum. It's free. You could walk along the river, the Jubilee Promenade, all along the south bank of the Thames. Of course, that's free. And stop at Shakespeare's Globe Theater and go to a, a play, the best Shakespeare in the world. And you buy a groundling ticket, or you can put your elbows right on the stage and enjoy this uh, wonderful Shakespeare for about $10 for a ticket. So those are examples of once you get to London and you get set up, you can spend days going to free museums and great cultural events, but you've got to be a little bit on the ball to find out where the free music is and and where the most accessible culture is. But as a student, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to figure that out. And getting a little information ahead of time and organizing your days, you will um, get the most out of your visit and you'll save hundreds of dollars. Thank you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I would recommend in London not to worry about cheaping out on the food because you don't accomplish a lot by spending a lot of money for food in London. It's sort of an exercise in frustration, I think, to get fine food in London, especially if you're on a budget. I mean, of course, you can go to a top-end restaurant and and eat very well. But I like to eat in the pubs, and for $15, you can get a good hot meal in a pub anywhere in town. There's a lot of very utilitarian takeaway kind of food places, and, of course, you can uh, picnic in London. Good luck on your trip, Amber. Nick in South Bend, Indiana, emails us, how should someone in college get into a study abroad program? What can they expect in a European study environment? And what are some of your best tips for students traveling in Europe for the first time? Uh, That's a very timely question for me because my son uh, is in his third year at Notre Dame, and and I just visited him in Rome and learned a lot about how the kids are enjoying their foreign study programs. I've uh, noted that almost all good colleges are enthusiastic about their foreign study programs, and it's becoming pretty much a standard thing for kids that can get away to spend a semester abroad. We were hanging out for a week with Andy and his buddies in Rome, and I met several of the kids that went over there for a semester, and they decided to finish their college education overseas. And instead of going to Fort Lauderdale for spring break, they go to Sharm el-Sheikh or, or some resort in the Red Sea, and they have all the same kind of fun. 
These kids are very happy with the fact that the uh, curriculum is much easier load over there. The teachers don't expect as much from them, it seems like, out of the studies. On the other hand, they're getting a great education just by being challenged by all sorts of language studies and fending for themselves out in the market and uh, living on a tight budget and, you know, just getting along in another country. So it's a great experience. The kids really take full advantage of their weekends. I noted that the kids take off right after their class on Friday and they probably sleep on a train coming back into town on Sunday night for Monday classes and they get two or three days every weekend in another destination. Plenty of great opportunities studying abroad to enjoy maximum travel thrills for every mile, minute, and dollar in that part of their education. Euro, Euro, it's the Euro dollar. If you don't have any when you go to Europe, you'll be out of luck. If you holiday in Germany, you'll need some Euro dollars. In France and Belgium, Italy too, you'll need Euro dollars. Cause whatever you buy, you pay with Euro dollars. No more marks or francs or liras, only Euro dollars. In Spain, Portugal and Ireland too, only Euro dollars. It's simple, don't you think? All you need is Euro dollars. Euro, Euro, it's the Euro dollar. If you don't have any when you go to Europe, you'll be out of luck. More of your calls in a moment as we consider our travel options together on this special all-open phones edition of Travel with Rick Steves. We're not letting the dipping dollar prevent us from fulfilling our travel dreams. Our traveling listeners are sharing valuable tips and insights that will help anyone travel smartly and economically. We're at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. Or share your stories with us online. Look for the feedback form in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. Their Advantage program can help you earn miles toward your next vacation. Details are at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're considering our options for traveling on a budget in expensive Europe with a wimpy U.S. dollar. We're taking your questions and your stories at 877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. We have Nancy on the line in Warren, Michigan. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Oh, thank you. For somebody on a budget, are there a lot of things to do in Paris? I have been there before, but I'm planning another trip again. 
Paris is, it has a reputation for being expensive because it's so elegant and so, you know, high class. Or, but the hotel situation in Paris is very good. And for $120, $130 a night, you can get a very nice double room in a beautiful neighborhood. The key is to pick a good neighborhood. I really like Rue Claire. Uh, the oh, I do too. You know, a simple little family-run hotel in Rue Claire. It's a pedestrian-only street, as you know, just seven blocks from the Eiffel Tower. Very, very French. I remember stepping out in the morning. It's just, I mean, it's so French, I feel like I must have been a poodle in a previous life. And, uh, <laughs> of course, you can spend a lot of money with restaurants and uh, entertainment in Paris. But so much of the wonder and the elegance of Paris, I think, is free. You've got a lot of local uh, pensioners and retired folks that are having a beautiful time in Paris. You can stroll the markets. The parks in Paris are some of the most beautiful anywhere. It's important to get the Periscope magazine. It comes out, I believe, every two weeks. It just costs a dollar or something. And it's in French, but it's very easy to read and understand just scoping out what sort of entertainment options you have. There's plenty of concerts, plenty of clubs. There's plenty of ways to connect with people. If you just take the initiative and get your hands on good information, It's a bit of an investment, but if you're going to be sightseeing, I would recommend buying the Paris Museum Pass. It's available for any number of days. It pays for itself after a few visits, and the real value of the Paris Museum Pass, and this is what makes it probably the most popular single tip I've ever given if you measured it by how many thank yous I get, is when you have that Paris Museum Pass, you never wait in lines. You see a long line in front of the Orsay Gallery, you got your pass, you walk right by those people through the turnstile. Remember, those lines are not to get into the museum, but to buy a ticket, and then you get into the museum. So you've already got your ticket with that museum pass. You walk right by the long line at the Louvre, you walk right by the long line at the Palace of Versailles. I want to remind people that we've been working very hard to make audio tours. These are free. They're available on our website at ricksteves.com. And I've got the major sites of Paris and Versailles covered with free audio guide tours. So I I can just think of spending three or four days using those audio guide tours and really savoring the major sites in Paris. And uh, apart from your accommodations and restaurants, spending very little money. I also remind you in Paris, the subway system is cheap because you only pay one price regardless of how far you go. A ride anywhere in Paris cost about what the shortest ride in London would cost. And then in London, of course, they get more expensive as you travel longer. So you want to get good with the metro system in Paris, and you'll find that's the not only the cheapest way to get around, but a great way to get around quickly because it is not impacted by traffic jams up above. I see. Okay. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much. I hope I, I wish I could do a little better, but uh, I think no, you're... No, that's great. Well, Thank good. you. That's a big help. Good. And I just absolutely love that city. I'm heading over there for a week this uh, coming season and can hardly wait to do the research and revisit all those hotels and restaurants. And I'll tell you, one of the great deals in Europe is a nice dinner crepe. Buy a crepe. It's a, a show when they make it for you, and they buy it with all your favorite savory ingredients, and then sit there on a bench with your favorite drink and marvel at the Eiffel Tower twinkling and all the local people walking their poodles around you. That's a good Parisian experience that costs you about $3. Thank you so much. All right. Well, best wishes in your travels, and thanks for your call. Thank you, and you too. Okay, bye now. Uh, Bye-bye. Sarah's on the line in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Thanks for letting me call in. Um, So I am on the verge of my 30th birthday. I devour your tour guides like novels, and I have yet to make the actual leap across the pond. And so I was wondering if you had about 10 days for a first-timer what your ideal trip would be. Ooh, 10 days for a first-timer. My big question is, do you need to 
ease into it or can you just jump with both feet and go, you know, where you want? Should I be worrying about language barriers or... You know, you don't need to worry about the language barrier and admittedly, St. Paul, Minnesota is not a great place to get uh, your bearings for the rest of the world. Uh, So you don't want to dive right into Turkey, okay? Uh, Okay. I I would say organize your trip in order of cultural challenge. Start mild and work more exotic. Now, you sound like you've been dreaming about this trip forever. It's a shame you can't get more than 10 days. If you could just call in well and and get 14 days, that would really help. We could expand it to 14. Nothing's been uh, booked yet. Please, make it 14 days. That's much nicer because 10 days, a 30-year trip, you're still jet laggy. And just when you're starting to (laughs) really get the hang of it, you've got to think about packing up again. Okay, fly open jaws for sure. That means flying into one city, not of another city. Start in the place is closest to Minnesota, as you know. You know, you want to start where it's kind of mild. Chicago? <laughs> well, no, let's say London or let's say England, okay. Okay? okay? Fly into Britain. And then you can go to Amsterdam and then you can go to Paris and then you could finish off. I don't know. The big question for you is how much is too much? And a lot of Americans have this if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium kind of problem. We have the shortest vacations in the rich world and we want to see everything. So right. you got to kind of decide. Actually, if if you had the maturity to take it and the patience to take it in two trips, you could do one trip just for Britain and Ireland and another trip just for the continent. That might make a lot of sense. Uh, there's no real right answer for you. I guess if I really wanted maximum thrills but to do it in a sort of a sensible way, I might uh, take it a little more aggressive, skip Britain, fly right into Amsterdam, and depending on what sort of things you want to see, big cities or villages or countrysides or rivers, but if you want culture and variety and you don't mind going pretty intensively, I think I'd have couple days in Amsterdam, go down to Paris for three days, go over to the Alps for a couple of days, and then uh, give yourself uh, three days in Italy and fly home from there. Now, admittedly, that's pretty hectic and crazy, but, you know, if you've waited all your life and you got two weeks, that's a pretty exciting trip. And, and don't underestimate how good the transportation is over there. You know, in five hours in the train, you can get from Amsterdam to Paris. And uh, another six hours or overnight in the train or a, a one-hour, two-hour flight, you can fly or take the train from Paris to the middle of the Alps. And then you'd want to go from there into Italy, and you'd fly home from Italy. Again, that's an open-jaw plan, flying into Amsterdam and, let's say, flying home from Venice or Florence or Rome. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Ah, Can I go right now? You can go right now. (laughs) Grab your passport. I'll see you at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Sarah, let us know how it goes. Thank you very much. I will. Okay, happy travels. I will. Thank you, Rick. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. That's 877-333-RICK. And our email is radio at ricksteves.com. Thomas is on the line in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Rick. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for your call. We've been talking a lot about places to travel in Europe uh, that's uh, you know inexpensive, and are there still some travel deals out there? And as a history professor at Stillman College in Alabama, I've done a lot of travel to uh, Madrid, either as part of my dissertation or, or taking students over there. And one of my favorite travel deals I found over there is uh, hostels right in downtown Madrid. The interesting thing about these hostels is they're not like your typical bunkhouse uh, hostel that some Americans might think of when they go to Europe, but these are really, when they use the word hostel in in Spain, it's more of a two-star hotel. And many of these have in-suite bathrooms, which is something you don't find a lot, Uh, and they might have a little bit older furniture. Sometimes the walls are a little bit thin, but they're definitely very clean. I've had some very, very good luck, and I've found prices starting as low as 40 euros a night, and that's uh, two blocks away from the Plaza Mayor or Puerta del Sol, which is literally right in the heart of Madrid. I mean, 
for the comparative dollar, you couldn't get a hotel that good in Tuscaloosa oh, downtown. Yeah. It's so fun to hear you talk about this, and we do want to make it really clear. In Spanish, or in Spain, they call a hostel is a, sort of a guest house, not like a youth hostel where you have a dormitory. Right, but these right. are little mom-and-pop, humble little hotels, usually on the fifth floor, oftentimes even without an elevator, and they are cheap. I'm just looking right now in my guidebook on Spain, and I got uh, Hostel Isabel, which is 43 euros for a, a double room with a bathroom. So that's, uh, you know, $60 a night for a double with a bathroom in downtown Madrid. Hostel Alista, 11 rooms on the third floor, 30 euros for a double. That's $45 for a double right in downtown Madrid. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. There's plenty of good values in the humble little family-run, um, you know, guest houses in, in cities all over Spain. Right. And the wonderful thing, especially about Madrid, is that location is so great because either you can hop on the subway and get to just about everything you want to see, or even, you know, the Prado and the Reina Sofia are just a five to ten minute walk from there. So, I mean, there is plenty to do within walking distance, which really saves on your transportation costs. There's a lot of inexpensive restaurants in that area. So, really, if, you, if you've got four or five days, you can really entertain yourself there very inexpensively. Right when now. you say that, it's bringing all sorts of memories of Madrid back to me. <laughs> Nowadays, with the dollar where it is, I'm putting a focus when I do the research for my guidebooks on cheaper accommodations. And it was a bonanza of little places. One building may have three very good family-run guest houses called hostels. Yes. And uh, you step outside, and within a block, you've got the metro system. And then it's just pennies on the metro. And I remember just straight shot out to the Bull Arena or a straight shot over to the Prado Museum or a straight shot down to the Royal Palace, and you really got Madrid at your doorstep. Yes, yes. It's absolutely fantastic. I think Madrid's a little better than Barcelona. Have you found that? Um, I have not actually been to Barcelona, but I've had several colleagues who have been there, and although Barcelona is absolutely beautiful, I think the prices are probably a little bit better in Madrid, because yeah. Barcelona seems to be a very popular tourist destination. Yeah, and when I'm in Barcelona, there are some very simple little hostels, but Eh, there are probably 50% more for the same comfort that you'd find in, in Madrid, but you have some very well-run youth hostels that are the big dormitory kind of places, and those would be charging 20 euros per bed, so you're going to pay uh, the equivalent of $30 for a bed, and that includes breakfast, and you're hanging out in a place uh, with a co-ed 8- to 12-bed dorm rooms, uh, probably 150 beds in total, and you got not just young travelers, but rugged budget travelers, mostly young, but of all ages, from all over the world that you're sharing that place with, and it's an affordable springboard mm-hmm. for enjoying the city, and you always in those places have a member's kitchen where you can cook for the price of groceries. And if you're on a budget, that's a beautiful advantage. Right. A couple of them that I've stayed in also have uh, laundry facilities and Internet access, uh, which is good if you want to, you know, uh, find day trips and things like that. You can book it yourself and you don't have to pay to to go somewhere else. And also I found that really a surprising majority of these little mom-and-pop places do speak a fairly good amount of English. Yeah. You know, that's the language that works from a commerce point of view. If somebody's running a humble little B&B anywhere, they're going to speak the local language for the local people and English for everybody else. Right. All right, Thomas, thanks, and happy travels. Yep, you too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Becky in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Hi, Becky. Thanks for your call. Hi. um, We're traveling with my family to Germany, and we are going to rent a Volmobile or a motorhome Uh over there, and we were wondering what's the best way... Or, you know, what are some of the camping sites and what are the best ways to travel? So you're going to Germany and you have a camper van? Correct. Well, the European middle-class family way to go is camping. And I don't specialize that in my research, but I know there are a lot of good campgrounds. 
better campgrounds now than ever, really. It's a popular way to go. Uh, one confusion a lot of Americans have is that some campgrounds are just literally booked out all the time because people go there every weekend. It, it serves as their summer cottage. And we have to be careful when we go to a campground that we go to a campground that is designed for people who are just spending a few days here and then go somewhere else. Uh, but camping, it's a great way to meet Europeans because not many Americans camp in Europe. And if you have a camper van, well, you won't be setting up a tent, but you'll still be getting a spot in the campground. I want to remind you, in America, we think of a campground as having a lot of privacy where you got your own little zone. But in Europe, it's like a parking lot, and you just put your camper van right there, and you got camper vans on both sides of you. So you have that density, but that's just part of being in Europe. But you are located in an idyllic spot. Generally, there is a public transit connection from the campground into the nearby town as a practical reason. And for a sightseeing aid, people don't want to get their car going. They just want to ride the bus into town. And generally, campgrounds have a fine restaurant on the site or nearby because part of good camping for a European is good eating. They're really into the cuisine. So you don't need to compromise the cuisine in the interest of saving money camping. And I'll tell you, with the dollar where it is right now, camping will save you a couple hundred dollars a day. And that right there saves you a lot of money so you can enjoy uh, uh, investing in some very nice meals. Yeah, it turned out that uh, I have family members over there, so he was a big help and helped me get the camper van, so yeah. it was very nice. So you rented this van. Is it fully equipped? Yes, yes. We can sleep in it. And Tell us a little more about that. Is that a good deal for you? Yeah, actually, uh, we compared it with the car because we're actually staying a little over a month. It cost us like uh, I can't, like 1200 to rent it for over the month. $1,200? Right. All right which I didn't think was bad. So, well, for $1,200, you've got your your beds for two people, right? Actually, all four of us are going, so it's going to be like four. sleep six, I think, wow. or something. And then you've got your transportation, and you can cook out of it. Correct. So if you uh, take advantage of that and you avoid 30 nights in hotels, you know, 30 nights in hotels in Europe is uh, $4,000 easy. Or for, for four people, it'd be $6,000 and 30 nights, uh, probably every other night you go to a restaurant and every other night you'd cook in the thing, so that'll save you several hundred dollars, and you got your transportation to boot. I think that's a budget trick right there. Oh, that's one of the things I was comparing with the car rental and that comparison, because I thought we could just make sandwiches or Look that at kind this. Of thing. My goodness, I just did the arithmetic. $1,200, four people, that's $10 a day. You're doing Europe on $10 a day. Well, wow. you got a few extra expenses, but that's pretty darn good. Yeah. That's great. So I'm pretty happy. It's a, it's a big... We had to save a lot to go on this trip. So. Yeah. More and more Americans are realizing that, hey, don't wait for the dollar to go down. The dollar is where it is. We're just not as rich as we think we are compared to the rest of the world. You know, do a little more picnicking, cook in your camper van, go camping instead of hoteling, and uh, you can still have the essence of good travel, and I think that's what you're up for. Remember, there are some good guidebooks for camping in Europe and some good sources of information, and it would behoove you to get your hands on that information before your trip. Do you know where I can get that? I mean, I, I looked at the Barnes & Noble of the bookstores here, and I can't find... I mean, I did send out, because they have... Um, a European uh, or a Germany thing in the in the states that you can call and they'll mail the stuff out for free. So they did send me a little bit on the camping. Right. Hang on just a minute. I'm looking up in my book, camping. Yeah, I'm just looking in in my book Europe through the back door, which has a chapter on camping. And there's the Traveler's Guide to European Camping. There's RV and car camping vacations in Europe. Uh, both of those are by somebody named Mike Church, and uh, apparently that's available through Amazon.com. There's the AA Caravan and Camping Europe Guide, 
And there's a wonderful book called Europe by Van and Motorhome by David Shore and Patty Campbell. So there's lots of resources for camping. And if your local bookstore doesn't have that, find a travel bookstore on the Internet. There's a lot of uh, travel bookstores that specialize in this kind of literature, and they would be able to point you in the right direction. Okay. Do you, by any chance, roughly know, like, what the cost is per day to stay at some of the campgrounds? I know it's a little more expensive in the summer because it is, like you're saying, a lot of the Europeans utilize it, too. And as I was looking at some of them on the web, they were more expensive in the summer months than, you know, fall, winter. I I would bet you could consider $10 a night per person to camp. But it varies a lot from uh, site to site according to the facilities and the style of campground and so on. Uh, A lot of times if you get an international camping card called a camping carnet, that'll save you some money. But these are all the ins and outs of camping in Europe, and uh, that's where you'd want to get some specialty information on that. But regardless of the cost, it's far cheaper than hotels. Okay. Good luck on your trip. Thanks a lot. You bet. Inmitten von Alpen und Tälern Im herrlichen Lande Tirol Ist Camping ob Sommer, ob Winter Erlebnis, Erholung ganz toll Tirol-Camping muss man erleben, ein Urlaub wird hier zum Gedicht. Nach Schwimmen und Wandern Romantik, am Abend beim Kerzenlicht. Travelers are all in the same school of hard knocks, and it's okay to compare notes. That's just what we're doing this week on Travel with Rick Steves, because our special guest is you. Ein Campingdorf hat es mir angetan, Tirol Camping More of your calls and emails are just ahead in this special full hour with our listeners. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Budget tricks and travel tips. That's our topic for this special all open phones edition of Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK. And there's lots of free tips and discussion boards to continue our conversation online with your traveling neighbors at ricksteves.com. We got Janice on the line in Walnut Creek, California. Hi, Janice. Yes, hello, Rick. Thanks for your call. Yes, I have a question for you. I really love to travel to Europe, and I've done it for the last seven years, but it's getting tougher and tougher. Can you suggest a country that uh, my dollar will go further that still is not too high in airfare to get to? You know, I think um, that's a concern a lot of us are having these days. The the dollar's down, and uh, what are we going to do? I, right. wish, I wish we could make the dollar go up, but the, the way we're running our economy, I don't see that happening. Uh, so we just got to get used to the fact that we're not as wealthy compared to the Europeans as we'd like to think we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I'm fond of saying, uh, I don't care... Uh, how high the dollar is or low the dollar is, the best value is not going to the places that are the cheapest to travel in. I really believe the best value is going to the places where your travel dreams are taking you and knowing how to travel smartly. Mm -hmm. I was just talking with somebody who's renting apartments, and, you know, for $70 a day, they were getting an apartment building for two people with a kitchen, and then they can get groceries. And uh, you're living there on potentially $50 a day for room and board, if you like, in the middle of a great city. Very hard to do that if you go the hotel and restaurant route. We need to take public transit instead of taxis. And, you know, there's just lots of ways that we can travel smarter. Having said that, uh, some countries are more expensive than others. I mean, Britain and Ireland uh, and Scandinavia, 
brutally expensive these days. I think Ireland is arguably the most expensive country in Europe. London is so expensive from an accommodations point of view. If you stay put and stay in apartments that generally rent for a longer term, I think some of them are as little as three nights in a row, but in many cases you've got to rent them by the week. Many countries have these jeets or the Feriunvonung or the agriturismos that will rent cottages in the countryside or in towns that, again, are self-catering. That means they have their own uh, kitchen facilities for far less than regular hotels. Also remember, Europe has thousands of youth hostels, both uh, formal international youth hostel fellowship hostels or informal hostels that offer uh, budget beds to people of any age. As a matter of fact, if you're over 55, you get a discount on the membership card for hosteling these days, and you'll find a lot of people of all ages enjoying the hostel systems. Of course, you're trading away privacy and all sorts of service and fancy uh, you know, facilities from a hotel, but you are enjoying uh, more social fun and you're enjoying uh, dirt cheap, hot cooked meals or the opportunity to cook on your own for the price of groceries, but you're staying in a dormitory instead. Uh, I've just got back from Turkey. Turkey is a very exciting place to travel and it's a lot less expensive in many ways than Western Europe. Portugal is less expensive. Morocco is a happening place. Morocco is so easy to get to now from Iberia, and they've got a new king that's making things really good for travel. If you were to measure travel thrills per dollar, I would say Morocco, given how exciting that place is to travel, it'd be one of the very best destinations. Uh, Berlin is a surprisingly inexpensive city. It's famous in Europe as being one of the less expensive big cities or great capitals. In all of Eastern Europe, you'll find hotels are generally about as expensive as in the West, but once you get past the hotels, eating, drinking, touring, uh, catching the bus, and so on, much, much cheaper. Is there one country in the Eastern European area that you would suggest over another for uh, um, better value? Well, Croatia is very trendy, and it's not a very good value. I mean, it's very expensive. Everybody's talking about Croatia, but I find it because of that, we all go to the same places. Consequently, those places are driven up in cost. If you were to go to dreary parts of Croatia where nobody's going, it'd be plenty cheap. Prague is another wonderful place, but it's as expensive as the West. Poland is a very good value. Uh, Bulgaria, if you want some adventure, I think Bulgaria is a fascinating place to check out. But again, the, the Western comfortable-style hotels are going to be about the same cost in the East as they are in the West. Again, it's mm-hmm. after that, they have this communist heritage, and uh, consequently, the public transportation is subsidized, and a lot of the, just the day-to-day expenses of living are going to be much less expensive. So it sounds like my option is hosteling or long-term rentals. Yeah, if you want to get the cost down less than $100 a day, you really need to do long-term rentals and hosteling and basically avoid hotels and restaurants. And you can enjoy great cultural thrills and travel thrills and never stay in a hotel or a restaurant. That's really the way people are doing it now. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Janice. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Tom is on the line in Newport Beach, California. Hi, Tom. Hey, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I had a quick question about uh, the euro versus the dollar. Uh, Given the recent weakness of the dollar versus the euro, are there still some regions for smart budget traveling in Europe uh, versus going somewhere like South America where there's still some great bargains, but those are disappearing too as uh, they know the Americans and the Europeans are used to paying a lot more. Are there some return visit uh, regions that you would recommend, east or west Europe? In Europe? Yes. Well, Europe is affluent. I've just got back from 100 days of traveling in Europe, and my theme, as far as a report, is, man, it's affluent. They're getting their act together. 
you know, they don't have a deficit over there. You can't be in the Eurozone and have a deficit. So they have that built-in discipline, uh, meaning if they're going to fight a war, they got to pay for it. If they're going to give a tax cut, they got to pay for it. If they're going to invest in their infrastructure, they got to pay for it. Wow. Europe right now has this internal Marshall Plan where they're investing about $500 billion, I understand, in a futuristic sort of network of communication and transportation infrastructure to make that vast free trade zone that is the European Union stronger than ever. Well, their economy is booming, and that comes with a strong currency. You know, people complain about the dollar being low, but it's expensive for Europeans also. You know, unless you've got a lot of money, if you're going over there on a reasonable budget. I was just in some of the most expensive corners of Europe, and, you know, they've got business lunches or little fast lunches and fine restaurants. In I was just in Stockholm, and for 10 or $12, you can get a hot plate and a salad and a drink and some bread at a nice restaurant in the old town for $12. Instead of spending $350 in a three-star hotel... I think I'd rather spend $150 in a one-star hotel. Instead of ordering, uh, going to a nice restaurant in Paris and getting a bottle of wine for $50, I'll get a carafe of house wine for, for $12 or $14. So those are the, what we need to do now to manage with our smaller dollar. I find that Americans go to the same places, and that drives the prices up. And Americans, when they're in those famous places, they stick to the main drag, which has the highest rent. And, of course, the little restaurant on the main drag has to charge more than the little hole in the wall a few blocks away. So sticking uh, one block over and uh, going where the locals go still holds true no matter where you go. Oh, man. Not only do you get a better price, but I think you get a better experience because the restaurant is accustomed to earning the repeat business of its clientele. Instead of on the main drag, they just assume they're going to snare suckers, and they've got an impressive menu, but that's where it ends. Sure. Great. Well, thank you very much. I always appreciate your comments. Thanks, Tom, and uh, good luck on your next trip. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. And we have an email from Jonathan in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, Jonathan writes, it's been two years since my wife and I were on a trip in Paris and London. At that time, the euro was $1.2 and the pound was $1.75. Since the dollar has continued to drop, which cities or countries would you recommend to visit in the next year or two where the dollar can still go pretty far? Well, the dollar is now about $1.50 for a euro and about $2 for a pound. Uh, that's, that's not good news. And I, as I mentioned, I think the dollar is going to stay there. And I think we just need to travel smartly. Now, if you're asking me where you can go that's the best value, I think the best value is to go where your travel dreams are taking you and then travel smartly there. If you're thinking about Ireland, if you're dreaming about Norway or you're dreaming about France, go there and traveling smart, even if you've heard those countries are more expensive than some other places. If you insist on knowing where are the cheap places in Europe, I would say Eastern Europe is cheap except for hotels, which in my experience cost about the same in the West wonderful values in Turkey. Uh, Turkey has a new currency. It used to be 1.5 million lira in a dollar, I believe. Now it's about 1.5 lira in a dollar. You know, you spend 8 or $10 for a meal in Turkey, and the hotels in Turkey are, are not as cheap as they used to be, but just the average expenses as you're out and about in Turkey are very inexpensive. I would remind you, big cities in any country are a lot more expensive than the small towns, and obviously resorts are more expensive than places that have no tourism doesn't mean we want to go to the places that are boring and, and dreary just to save some money. But if you're going to the famous places, Venice, Siena, San Gimignano, Rotenburg, Bruges, Stratford, whatever, you got to be careful that you try to avoid the tourist traps, which will cost you a lot more money. Where should you go on the next trip? Go where your travel dreams are taking you, and then equip yourself with good information and expect yourself to travel smart. And Julie in Linwood, Washington. Hi, Julie. Thanks for your call. It's nice to talk to you. My question is, um, I'm in my late 20s, been out of college for a couple years. I love to travel. Um, unfortunately, I don't make a lot of money. So how can I travel without, you know, charging up my credit cards and taking out a lot of excess money out of my bank account? 
Yeah, well, that's on a lot of people's mind right now, yep. given the state of our dollar. Isn't that a sad yeah. thing? I just firmly believe you should not wait, hoping the dollar's going to get stronger, you know. Uh, if you can travel now, if you're bitten by the travel bug now, you should find a way to get over there and just know how to travel smarter. Okay, the yeah. dollar is 25% less valuable now than it was a year ago. That's not the end of the world. We just have to order lower on the menu. I was just mm-hmm. visiting my son in Rome with all the students over there in a foreign study program. Those kids were experts at traveling cheaply. They had no experience. The necessity makes them travel smarter. And I was over there checking out places to eat. And, you know, you might not go to a fancy restaurant every night. You go to a, a well-chosen pizzeria. And the mm-hmm. very best pizzerias in Rome where all the local people go, wonderful ambience, great pizza, Eight euros for a dinner-sized pizza. That's 12 bucks for your dinner and another $6 for the wine, and you got a $20 meal. You can eat very well anywhere in Europe for 20 bucks. There are alternatives to hotels and restaurants that'll save you a lot of money. Our son goes shopping in the market. More and more people are going to be getting apartments uh, by the week that come with kitchens, and then you can live for the price of groceries. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You can use the public transportation instead of renting a car. I, I'm just reminding Americans that we're not as wealthy as we like to think we are, uh, mm-hmm. but there's still 12 million of us every year that go traveling. We just need to get used to waiting in line with the, at the bus station with the Portuguese people instead of hopping mm-hmm. into a taxi like a German. Uh, but you can still have a great time over there. Okay, so is it better than to travel with three or four other people, you know, to help keep that cost down as opposed to travel by myself or with one other person? One person traveling alone is usually more expensive and more cumbersome and a little less fun for most people. Two people traveling together is ideal. Three or four gets a little cumbersome. If you're thinking just of economics, four people in a car and four people Mm -hmm. sharing one room saves a lot of money. Uh, The problem with one person traveling is unless you resort to dormitory-type alternatives to hotels where they charge per bed, Mm -hmm. you're going to rent a single room, which costs almost the same as a double room. You'll save 20% over the cost of a double room to be a single in a hotel. So that's quite expensive. Of course, if you put three or four people in a room, and, and most hotels in Europe can accommodate three or four people in a room, you'll save a heck of a lot of money that way. If you're driving, remember, driving is very expensive for one or two people, Mm -hmm. but it becomes more economic for three or four people. And a group of seven or eight people in a minibus, now that's actually really cheap. Seven or eight people in a minibus, renting apartments uh, or getting big rooms, picnicking a lot, you know, those are ways you save serious money in your travels. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Good luck on your trip. Thanks, Julie. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And we have Kristen on the line in Dublin, Ohio. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. I'm going to Prague for a week. I'm probably going to be by myself. Um, I'm taking a tour. And um, afterwards, I'd like to spend a little more time in Europe around that area. And I'd like to know um, where the dollar would be of good value and a place that would be safe to travel by myself. Boy, Prague is such an exciting place, and you'll have a very busy week there, that's for sure. But you'll want to go beyond that. And I would say I can't think of any place you would go from there where a woman would feel it's not safe. So I don't think that should be a concern for you. Just exercise good common sense anywhere. And I I think the streets of European cities are statistically much safer than the streets of American cities. My first thought when you say a side trip from Prague is to catch the new express train. They've got this new Italian high-tech train called the Pendolino that goes from Prague two hours east to a place called Olomutz. Olomutz, and it's the capital of the historic capital of Moravia. And when you go to Olomutz, you'll find no tourist. You'll find prices about half what they are in Prague and a wonderful heritage that people just overlook. It's a real back door. 
Once you get there, you could cross the border north into Poland and go to Krakow, and there would be good train connections to Krakow. And Krakow is sort of the historic, well, not sort of, it is the historic capital of Poland, and you could call it the next Prague as far as emerging favorite destinations for travelers. Those are the two cities that come to mind. Also nearby is Berlin and Vienna. Vienna is quite expensive. Of course, I, I love Vienna. It's sort of the eastern counterpart to Paris. And if you want to go up to Berlin, Berlin is famous as being a cheap capital city. And you get to Berlin and you realize, wow, you can have a lot of fun in Berlin without spending a lot of money. And it's the happening place right now in Germany. If people say they got one stop in Germany, I'd say three days in Berlin, and you're doing the best you can. Okay. Does that make any sounds, sense? Uh, yeah, that sounds good. I've gone to Western Europe by myself, and I would be comfortable with that. I just wasn't sure about some of the Eastern Europe countries, which is one of the reason I was going on the tour. Yeah, you, you know, Kristen, it's understandable that you'd kind of wonder that, but every time I go there, I'm really impressed by how comfortable Americans who venture into Eastern Europe are. I'd spent eight or nine days running around the Czech countryside working on a TV show there where we didn't even go to Prague, and there's all sorts of little towns that have a great kind of charm, and, you know, a few travelers come in on their bicycles. There's a lot of people doing bike tours and so on, and it's very laid back. It, it feels sparsely populated. The food and the beer is good and cheap. There's live music in the pubs. There's plenty of little guest houses and mom-and-pop hotels that are funky and, and simple and very inexpensive. You can do some great exploring in a place like the Czech Republic. Now, keep in mind, Czech used to be Czechoslovakia, right? And there's right. two independent countries now, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Nobody goes to Slovakia. Everybody goes to Prague. You know, Prague is, I mean, like you chose it, it's just the most exciting city in Eastern Europe, really. But if you want to go where there are no tourists, where the prices are great and the welcome is warm... I don't know much about Slovakia, but I keep meeting people that rave about Slovakia, as long as you're not looking for famous sites. If you just want to have a, a mellow experience with friendly local people uh, at incredible prices, Slovakia is a place to, to consider. Okay, I will. Now, I take it they speak um, some English, because I'll... Now, that's Probably another... pretty obviously <laughs> I, I speak no other languages. Well, I don't either. And you know what's interesting is uh, when you go to Europe, you find, of course, there's a bit of a language barrier, but I've been able to do all my guidebook research and my TV production and my uh, family vacations and everything speaking just English. I like to learn the key words and the polite words when I'm in countries, and then I forget them as soon as I leave, unfortunately. Um, the language barrier should be no concern when you're traveling in a place like, uh, well, anywhere in Eastern Europe. You know, it's interesting that the big countries, uh, France, Spain, and Italy, that's where you'll have the biggest language barrier because you could grow up and live in Spain, France, or Italy speaking only that language and, and really have a full opportunity to enjoy the world and all the pop culture and everything that's going on. But if you live in a little language country like Estonia, where less than a million people speak that language, if you're educated, you've got to learn English or your world's pretty small. All over Eastern Europe, you will find that well-educated young people and people in the tourist industry will speak English. That's the language that international travelers use throughout what we call Eastern Europe. In the old days, they would learn Russian, or they would be taught Russian, and they would try their best not to learn it. Today, you find almost nobody's learning Russian, and English is the cool language for people to pick up. So really, you will have a few challenges, especially when you get away from the cities and so on, but you'll find English is the is the functioning language for international travelers throughout uh, what we call Eastern Europe. Okay. Kristen, you're, you're heading to Prague. Why did you choose Prague, and, and what are you looking forward to there? I didn't have anything that specific. I've just heard about Prague, and I've been to most of Western Europe, and it just seemed, I don't know, kind of exciting to go there. 
I'm hoping that my son will be able to join me on the trip. He'd been in Iraq a couple times, and he's out of the Army now. So he's working, but I don't know if he can get the time off. So that's why I don't know if I'm going to be by myself after Okay. After I'm on the tour or not. So if he were with me, I certainly wouldn't you know, right. worry about where I went. But by myself, a little more concerned. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind you that uh, local guides are just scrambling for work over there. These are a lot of young college-age students that speak English wonderfully. They often have their own car. And for about $100 a day, you would have your own local expert with a car, and that's something to keep in mind. And if your son is able to join you, you might consider renting a car and tooling around the Czech Republic in the countryside just with him and you in the car. It's a beautiful place to drive, as I learned just a couple months ago there with our TV crew. Good luck on your trip. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks, Kristen. Happy travels. Okay. Thanks, Rick. Bye-bye. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback and archived audio on demand. It's in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. New vacation options in Latin America, plus getaways in the U.S., Europe, and the Caribbean are at aavacations.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.